Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Salutations and welcome to episode 106 of Movie Oubliette, the globe-spanning podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad. Looking forward to getting some post-Iconicon sleep in Cambridge, UK. Ah uh, yes, and me, Dan, finally able to breathe again, luckily, after <laughs> the panel that I was in for Iconicon in Melbourne, Australia. We focus on sci-fi, horror and fantasy films because we love steampunk societies dressed like Wallace and Gromit, treasure maps covered in baby spit and giant mutant moles with fleshy nose tendrils. Hello, oh, Yes, of course we do. <laughs> Hello, Conrad. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm able to breathe again because I, I have no more panels. I was only in the uh, the one 90s soundtrack panel. So yeah, I, I'm happy and <laughs> free. <laughs> but you do and have... relaxed. You've got two more panels to go. Um, yes, and they're the biggies. As of recording, by the time this comes out, you would have uh, already done them, but um, yes. Yes, unless something disastrous happens. No, I, at the moment I'm on the cusp of recording, uh, well, going live with the team that did the Star Trek remaster, which I'm very excited about. I'm really interested in talking about that. Mm. And then, yeah, tomorrow, Bernard Rose and Tony Todd. Yes. Um, so, whew. But I'm sure it went well. Your time travellers, listeners, you've you've heard it already and seen it already. So mm. maybe it all went fine. I hope so. But I know <laughs> that I'll be there with Melinda and Serge. So yeah. I'm not alone. The three musketeers. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, but at the moment, I'm just fiendishly preparing and worrying about every detail. But I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you showed me the opening sequence that you made for uh, Candyman, and wow, mm. it's very cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yes. I'm hoping to impress Tony and Bernard, because I did one for The Last Starfighter, and um, Kathy and Lance really appreciated mm, it, mm. so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... These little touches. I hope I don't know if it would make up for me making a complete arse out of myself and asking stupid questions, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So we we've both been pretty busy with um with Iconicon. Uh, anything in the mailbag amongst all that flurry? There has been, thank goodness. Uh, thank everybody for uh, still keeping in touch with us despite our lack of response sometimes <laughs> over the last week. Uh, Jimmy Salt on Johnny Mnemonic said, You guys have to watch Demolition Man. It's one of my top five silly action movies. Oh. So many great one-liners. I even own it on Laserdisc. Remember those? Oh, wow. I, too, still use an MP3 player since much of my collection is also not available on streaming. So uh, a kindred yes. spirit there with the yes. iPod classic. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, mm. uh, when I was researching the the '90s soundtracks uh, for that panel that I was in, yeah, a lot of soundtracks are not available 
And these are these are not scores. These are soundtracks. Uh, they're not available on streaming at all. Just can't find them. No. So I can understand the uh, the iPod usage from people. Yes. Yes. So so can I. I mean, it's it's yeah, especially those soundtracks because a lot of really intricate licensing went on to get all of those artists onto one piece of plastic for CD mm. back in the day. Yeah. And the streamers can't do it. Sometimes you can make the playlist yourself. By yeah, searching out the individual but, tracks. But what a pain in the backside that is. Often, though, in, in these movies, these these songs were specifically made for that soundtrack only. Right. So they don't yeah. exist anywhere else. They're not on albums or anything else. They're, they are on that soundtrack. That's it. Mm. So, yeah, I I, yeah. Did, I had to listen to the Ninja Turtles <laughs> movie soundtrack on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's the one place you can get it. YouTube without content matching yeah. is your best bet for yeah. some of these things. Not Bad, great audio, though, quality-wise. No. But uh, <laughs> it was my only option. <laughs> T-U-R-T-L-E, turtle. Yes. Oh, my. Um Ryan got in touch about Johnny Mnemonic as well. He said, when I met Henry Rollins, a little bit of a name drop there, Ryan, but very impressive. I asked him about this film and he immediately went to Dolph. Henry talked about how needlessly grumpy Dolph was and that he was a total prick to everybody on set and made every day of shooting a total nightmare. Weirdly, Rollins did mention that every so often you could disarm him for a moment by engaging in discussion about science, since Dolph has a background in it, and that people really underestimate that the guy is a high IQ genius. So oh, I did not know that. Um, unfortunate yeah. about his <laughs> behaviour around yeah. people, but um, oh, interesting, very interesting. Yeah, I love getting these stories about what stars are really like because they they so carefully craft their public persona and then you find out you know like ellen degeneres i think is widely thought now to be a bit of a monster isn't Mm, she yeah yeah disappointing because Mm. on screen always so lovely but then apparently as soon as somebody yells cut monster Mm, (laughs) it's mm. disappointing yeah well i mean they're people they're people sometimes they have bad days yeah i like tom hanks apparently tom hanks is lovely all the time but on his twitter feed he has something his bio says you know i acted in some movies you like if you see me in the wild leave me alone yeah 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 (laughs) so fair enough yeah exactly (laughs) when we were asking people about their favorite forgotten 90s gem louis saavedra said strange days with ray fines those mini discs mm. looked really futuristic at first. Also, killer soundtrack. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I, I always found Strange Days to be quite disturbing. It's, such a, it's quite a disturbing movie. I don't remember it very well. I think it's in the oubliette. I think we might need to fish it out at yeah, some point. Yeah, it's a Catherine Bigelow movie, right? It is, yeah, before she hit the big time in the Oscars. So, mm, yeah. Mm. Interesting one to revisit. Mm. Eddie Coulter said, It's Frankenstein Unbound for me, directed by Roger Corman, starring John Hurt, Raul Julia, Bridget Fonda, oh my, Jason Patrick, and Michael Hutchins. That's a right. lineup. Based on the novel of the same name by Brian Aldiss, it's an unusual take on the Frankenstein novel. Yeah, I think I mentioned it to you uh, a while back th- that I wanted to cover it, but it's really hard to find. 
I think. It's very hard, yeah. I think it's only available on VHS or something. <laughs> I could not find it on anything other than a VHS on eBay. And I mm. thought, <laughs> well, we can't do that because guys listening can't watch it. So yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. A bit pointless. Only, only, <laughs> only those that own it on VHS. <laughs> Yeah. Very niche audience. <laughs> very, very niche audience. That's no good. Mm. Nick Hardy also got in touch about a forgotten 90s gem. He said, for me, it's Trespass, a great thriller with Bill Paxton and William Sadler as firemen searching for hidden treasure in an abandoned factory. It also stars Ice-T and Ice Cube. Well, wow. it was made in the Both early 90s. Both of the ices. <laughs> Both of the ices. They just needed vanilla and they'd be there, wouldn't they? The hat trick. And was directed by the great Walter Hill. So I have oh. heard great things about that and I've never seen it. I've never I've never heard of it. So mm, interesting. Ah. Now I've heard about it as being a great I think when Bill Paxton passed, it was named as one of his great performances. So Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And finally we heard from Surge oh. of Cold Crash Pictures. Hello, Surge. Hello, Surge. <laughs> See you in a couple of days. Um <laughs> he says on Dead Heat. There's a lot to love about Dead Heat. I'm surprised it isn't more popular, even though the plot is basically just a flimsy excuse to stage a bunch of zombie cop gags. There are some pretty good <laughs> gags in there, and it even gets sort of introspective about death towards the end. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It really was a surprise. Hidden gem. It was a hidden gem. Yeah, I'd never even heard of it, which, you know, because I read so much about the genre in the 80s, I would have thought I would have stumbled upon it by now, but no. Mm. Matt completely surprised us. So yeah. it was a great time. Mm, it was. So that's everything from the mailbag. Thanks, everyone, for getting in touch. We love hearing from you. Yes. More messages, please. So, Dan, I guess you ought to hop on over to that oubliette and find out what's lurking in there for us today. Oh, yes, I will. Ah! Oh, I'm in some sort of room with pipes. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh, what does that do? Ah, oh, doesn't matter. It's not my job. Oh, it's a giant mole. Oh, no. Okay, I'm out of here. Oh, I like to go fast. Oh, wow. That was an adventure. What have you got? <laughs> well, today it's going to be an adventure, a science fiction adventure, in fact, uh, with City of Ember from 2008. Ooh. Wow. It's uh, directed by Gil Keenan, based on a book by Jean Duprow. Uh, and mm. screenplay by the very renowned Caroline Thompson. Mm. Yes, who wrote Edward Scissorhands, isn't that right? Yeah, I, I mean, her, we'll get into it in this discussion, but a very admirable list of uh, films that she's worked on. Uh, and and this mm. movie stars Saoirse Ronan, Harry Treadaway, Bill Murray, Ooh. Tim Robbins, Toby Jones, Martin Landau... And uh, a bunch of other people as well. <laughs> <laughs> and what's it about? Well, sometime in the near future, the Earth has become uninhabitable and the last of humankind have to survive underground in a self-sustaining city, the city of Ember. But before they shut themselves in, the legendary builders lock in a box directions to resurface. However, over time, 200 years in fact, the box has fallen to the wayside and the civilization continues with somewhat newer ideals led by the slightly peculiar 
but questionable Mayor Cole. Mm. However, young Lena Mayfleet and Dune Harrow seek a way to escape the confines of the simple city, and with the help of the discovered direction box, they solve puzzles, uncover hidden doors, all the while avoiding the evil mayor trying to thwart their efforts. Will they succeed, or will ravenous giant moles devour them? (laughs) We'll find out. (laughs) Okay, can't wait. Yeah. And we are back to talk about 2008's City of Ember. When this came out, I'm pretty sure it was just called Ember in Australia. Really? It wasn't called City of Ember. It was just Ember. But I remember I almost saw it at the cinema. We had two options. We could either watch this movie or Twilight. Oh. And (laughs) we saw Twilight and... Immense regret. <laughs> really? <laughs> I would rather have watched this movie to Twilight. Yeah. But I, I had we had a friend that used to work for the cinema at the time, and she got us, like, really cheap tickets. Oh, okay. Um, but I would have paid more money to not watch Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> Mopey vampires, not your thing, I take it. Uh, that movie, yeah, not good. Not good. But um, I have watched this movie uh, a few years later. Had you seen this movie before? I had, but it just went straight into the memory hole. I had no memory of it whatsoever. It was a 2008 DVD rental. Right. And I thought nothing about it, and it's just vanished. Mm. Watching it again, it wasn't as though I was sat there thinking, oh, yeah, I recognise this. It was just as though I'd never seen it before at all. I didn't remember any aspect of it. Right. But I have seen it. I know I have seen it. (laughs) So it's really bizarre. I mean, the film did not do well. Mm. For some reason, the source novel, The City of Ember by Jean Duprau, was subject to some huge bidding war. And Tom Hanks himself got involved Mm. and paid in the mid six figures in October 2004 to purchase the film rights to it. So they obviously thought it was going to amount to something. It had a budget of $55 million. It has since grossed 17 yikes which is not good yeah it was released on the 10th of october 2008 and it debuted at 11th place behind and wait for this list number one beverly hills chihuahua yeah yeah <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it was a different time in 2008 wow. and i'd like to point out beverly hills chihuahua had racked up 145 million dollars worldwide at that point does anyone remember what the hell this movie was wow that's amazing quarantine the uh, u.s remake of wreck of wreck yes yes body of lies nick and nora's infinite playlist knights in rodanth the express appaloosa The Duchess, and Fireproof. I cannot remember any of these movies, but they all did better than The City of Ember in the week of its release. And it just sank without a trace. So I can't say that it had stiff competition, but it still didn't do well. Yeah, and I think they did have a sequel in the works as well, but then Mm. because of how poorly it did in the box office, just scrapped just immediate scrapping because uh the writer has it's like four books city of ember the people of sparks the prophet of yonwood 
and the Diamond of Darkhold. Mm. They sound great. Yeah. I want to watch those movies. And it's interesting as well because I was thinking, did they combine some books to be in this movie? Because, I mean, spoilers here, they do get out of Ember. You would think (laughs) they'll spend more time in Ember in the books, but no, they don't. They do get out of Ember. Uh, at the end of the first book. Yeah. Uh, And then they travel the world and they meet up with people on, like, you know, the surface of Earth. I thought they were the last of humankind. I didn't realize that they were just a bunch of weird people stuck underground. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I thought exactly the same. So that comes as a surprise. I know one of the novels is a prequel. Right. But yeah, they did option the sequel, the full on sequel. So, okay, they've gotten to the surface. Now what next? Yeah. But uh, yeah, went straight down the toilet, all the plans for that as soon as this one bombed so badly. Yeah. Which is a shame. It is. It is. I mean, the screenplay was done by Caroline Thompson, who was... Very, very notable. Mm. She did the screenplay for Edward Scissorhands, Adam's Family, Homeward Bound, Secret Garden, Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride, uh, and uh, a recent film, Welcome to Marwin, which I actually quite enjoy. I don't know whether anyone else has seen that movie. No. Bunch of dolls. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, she's done some really, really great movies uh, in terms of screenplay. And I thought the story in this movie is a really good starting point, like the premise and the visual aesthetic of the movie and sort of the world, the science fiction futuristic world where they're just underground and wearing, like you said, woolly jumpers from Wallace and Gromit. Yeah. Yeah. But for a a society that lives entirely underground and has no livestock, as far as I can tell, they seem to have an endless supply of wool, which is remarkable. Sir Sharonan's character, Lena, her granny, that's her industry. Well, there's wool everywhere in their house. Yes. I don't know where they get this from, but yeah. I mean, it's a complete world it may not make a great deal of sense but it is a complete world that they present on film and the production is astonishing i think they took over a whole was it like a paint factory or something like that on a shipyard in ireland yeah so uh, the former paint hall in the shipyard of harland and wolf in belfast's titanic quarter wow was converted into this huge uh, set of Ember. Apparently it was so big that they gave out maps to all the actors. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of like Alien, I think, because they created all of the corridors and the rooms mm. on the Nostromo as a continuous set, so you could do all of those prowling shots. Um, the cast would get lost <laughs> yeah. in there um, and not be able to find their way out. And apparently the same was true of Ember. I think there were many a trail of wool with people <laughs> sort of trying to find their way around, which, yeah, it's a remarkable production. I mean, it's sort of steampunky, sort of Wallace and Gromity. It's a very British production. There are a mm. lot of British faces in here, including the two leads. Yes. But it, to me, the aesthetic is kind of Tim Burton- but Disney Tim Burton, so not early, interesting, dark, gothic Tim Burton, but sort of day-glow Disney Alice in Wonderland Tim Burton, if that yeah. makes sense. It's very much a family movie. It's very wholesome. There's not mm. a huge amount of stakes. Uh, I mean, there are. We'll get into it in terms of how they're presented. For me, it felt like I was watching an animated movie 
live action. Right. Like, it felt like some of the stop motion stuff by um, Laika. Okay. So, like, the box trolls or Coraline. Like, it had a very sort of quirky, I mean, the fact that everyone's in wool as well. Yeah. My wife mentioned when we were watching it, it's like lots of natural fibers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of felt and, and tweed. But it did also remind me, like, in terms of the, the steampunk aspect of, of, like, Miyazaki films, so the anim- animated films, um, House Moving Castle, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, and, and Laputa Castle in the Sky. So that aesthetic with the steampunk and the sort of natural fibers and underground, like, it, it did feel very, like, like an animated movie that you would normally expect it. To be sort of animated. And and because of some of the CGI not being hugely realistic, hmm. like had almost like an animated quality to it. Yeah, that's a really good analogy because it not only fits the aesthetics that you're talking about, it also fits the depth of the character development, which is just puddle thin. I mean, it's hmm. my biggest problem with this movie is there is no character arc at all for anyone. No. If I were to sum up the plot of this movie, two people in an enclosed society that has lost its way, which we can talk about tropes later on, yes. but they need to get out and they find the instructions. And the only obstacle really isn't any kind of personal growth. None of them have to overcome anything. None of them bring a particular skill to the table that then pays off later. Mm. They just read the instructions and follow them and exactly the things that they expect happen and then they get out. And the only unexpected element that could stop them is Bill Murray as the fat mayor who tries to stop them, but they just run away. So that amounts to nothing. Mm. And a large mole that they escape in one chase scene mm-hmm. and is never seen again except when it eats Bill Murray. So Yeah. <laughs> and the characters do not grow. They learn nothing about themselves or each other. They don't even seem to have a relationship with each other particularly. Mm. So they are in exactly the same place at the end as when they began, except they've got fresh air. Yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised <laughs> because there were a lot of setups that you would think would pay off, but yes. They didn't. Like you, you've got the, the father who's an inventor. So you think, oh, he's, he's going to help them. He's going to invent something. Mm. I mean, there was that one scene where they get into that weird digging bicycle trolley thing. Yeah. That I guess <laughs> helps them. But yeah. I thought there was going to be more to that character, like him overcoming yeah. his guilt for his friend dying or something happening. Or um, the mayor just didn't seem to be that evil. Really, he wasn't really that much of a threat to them. No, like there were lots of things that were. Oh, I thought this would be a setup for this, been then nothing. Yeah, there's a moment where Lena's character, her defining characteristic, she wants to be a messenger because she loves to go fast. And I thought, oh, put a pin in that. She's going to do something fast later on that's going to save that. No, well, I mean, never happens. She runs away from the mirror, <laughs> but there's not much competition there in terms of. <laughs> Well, no, it's Bill Murray in a fat suit. I mean, it's not going to cause a problem, is it, really? Yeah, yeah. No. So that never pays off. The the character, the character of Dune. Dune. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was going to be very, you know, uh, his mind with pipes and engineering. Nothing. No. Doesn't use it. He starts out idealistically saying that he's going to fix the world, and he does. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> 
In terms of classic storytelling, it's bad. And it's a short movie. It's only sort of 90 minutes. So I wonder if there's huge chunks of it that have landed on the mm. cutting room floor in some desperate bid to try and speed things up. Yeah. I, I couldn't find anything that suggested that. Yeah. In terms of storytelling and character development, there is nothing to be found. Even Tim Robbins' character, the father, the inventor, mm. Harrow Barrow or Barrow Harrow, or yeah. <laughs> whatever his name is. Yeah, he starts out disillusioned and saying there's nothing to be done but at the same time keeps instilling in his son this idea of keep your eyes open and look for things that other people don't see because that's where you'll find the most value or whatever mm. so he seems to be simultaneously inspiring and given up yeah and then at the end they discover that they did attempt to escape but failed and then his son escapes using the same method without any kind of issue whatsoever. They just get on, start peddling, and it just works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even when they get out, I thought, oh, are they going to go back and warn everyone? And Because it's flooding right down in the city. Everyone's just yeah. drowning, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. But they just throw a rock with a message. Yeah. Oh, simple solution. There you go. They'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> They'll find the rock. <laughs> Also, very talented actors underused. Yes. Tim Robbins, Bill Murray, Martin Landau. Not a lot to do. No. Martin Landau is unrecognisable as a pipe worker. Yeah. His name is Sol, I think. His sole characteristic mm. is that it's kind of a depiction of like a civil servant. Sure. Because yeah. the whole point is that this is like communism. It's a group of people with a limited set of resources and dwindling knowledge of how this place works through the generations, just slowly trying to make do as the knowledge and the resources peter out. Mm. They are, seem to have assigned jobs. They reach a mature age and then they're assigned a job and then they do it no matter what their talents are. And they do it to the best of their ability, which in often cases is not great. Mm. And Sol is this guy who just keeps saying it's not my job it's not my job yeah. so it's kind of like the civil service where it's a bunch of people who have no incentive to improve themselves or any system or process around them because there's no competition yeah so it's like a brutal criticism of socialism <laughs> sure, sure and that's what this character is bill murray's funny yeah he is but he could be funnier. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, know. <laughs> I mean, I've seen him in, in a lot of movies where he is much funnier. Mm. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like he doesn't have much of a script to really add to. No, and yeah. he's not really on screen enough. I don't know. I thought he could have been quirkier or, or something. I don't know. Or more evil. I mean, like you said, he isn't much of a threat. He's just mm. a useless politician who has no idea what he's doing. And he's got a whole hoard of food that he's keeping just for himself. Yes. I mean, he's not hiding it very well. He's conspicuously fat. So he's clearly getting extra yeah. food from somewhere. Yeah. And when everybody's annoyed about the fact that the power keeps going out in the city of Ember because the generator is failing, he launches a full-scale investigation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, yeah, brutal criticism of socialism and its resulting government of useless people. I did want to ask about the generator, though. Hmm. Why didn't they just fix it? The sense that I get is just that as the years went by, nobody knew how any of it worked. Right. I mean, you have to question this whole system whereby people who have no inclination and no interest in a topic get assigned a task by picking the role for <laughs> yeah. themselves out of a hat. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I do question is why so many of these 
YA properties from the early aughts and onwards have an early scene where children are assigned their fate as a human being yeah. by some random selection yeah. process <laughs> imposed on them by adults. So you've got the sorting hat in Harry Potter, yes. the selection of tributes in The Hunger Games, this, and then I've never seen it, but that whole detergent, divergent, oh, allegiant yes, 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 yes. thing, I've never watched it, but I think they're all assigned their entire life at birth, aren't they, or something. Mm, right, right. I, anyway. I haven't seen it either. It must be a preoccupation that rings true for young adults of that generation that they feel as though, you know, they don't have many options in life and they're being assigned them by the previous generation and they don't make any sense, which I can understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like as well it has kind of just become a trope with those young adult the often dystopian futures as well. Yeah. Always set in some future where blah, 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 rules and this and that. <laughs> so it, it kind of has become sort of a, a young adult novel trope. Mm. So Sasha Ronan's in this movie. She was only 14, I think. Wow. 13, 14. Yeah, this is right after Atonement, which was her breakout role, wasn't it? Yeah, so I didn't realise uh, she was... All, I, I mean, The Lovely Bones came a year after this in 2009. I, I forgot she was in The Lovely Bones. Yes. Completely forgot. That movie, not great uh, in terms of Peter Jackson films. Too much CGI. Way too much. Yeah. We've seen Saoirse in, on the pod in Byzantium. Mm. So she was in that film. And then now she's just like behemoth of like stardom <laughs> and, and, and ladybird and little woman but yeah 14 year old Saoirse in this I have to say some scenes not the best acting <laughs> I don't know. no and she was widely praised as well I read for her performance in this I think she was even nominated for or won an award for her performance oh, okay. in it I don't know and that's questionable for me I think it is too but a lot of it I'm wondering about the material that they were given and also the direction because there are so many moments in this that are so badly staged, badly shot. So just for example, the death of her grandmother, which makes her and I think it's her sister, Poppy, the little kid that oh, yes, eats Poppy, the instructions. Yes, yes. Yeah. Leaves them homeless and, and so she has to move in with Mary Kay Place's character. That is so badly staged because you have one scene where Granny goes bonkers and pulls the filling out of the sofa for yeah. no apparent reason, although she claims she's searching for something important. Yeah. But it makes no sense. It's just bizarre without any kind of setup or connection. You don't know exactly why this is happening. Mm. The next scene you see her in, she's unwell and told that she needs to get bed rest. And then you have the next scene where there is another blackout. And when the lights come back on, you're on a, a master shot Sure. Off the bedroom with grandma in it on the bed, splayed out across it with her bare feet stuck towards the camera. Sersha and Poppy are like miles in the background behind the bed and they just say, Granny, Granny. And I'm sat there thinking, you, you go to the next scene. I'm thinking, what, is she dead or is she asleep? Or Was there supposed to be an emotional moment there because there were no close-ups mm. and I don't know what happened? Yeah, right. There yeah. was no sense that it was shot selection, reaction. There was no storytelling. I didn't know what happened. And that <laughs> happened so often in the movie. Yeah. It was so poorly shot and directed that I, I'm sorry, Gil Keenan, but I could not tell what happened. Like there was a scene where, you know, they put together the key to open some door and Harry Treadaway's character, Dune, can't get it to work. And then Poppy steps forward and she does something, but there is no close up of it. Mm. And the door opens. And I'm thinking, what did she do? 
what did Poppy bring to the table that Dune lacked? Because it could have been a great moment for her. My understanding of that scene was she pulled the key out and that was what made the door open. Oh, I completely missed that. Okay. Because I don't think there's a close-up of her doing it. It's like when Dune finds that enormous moth and he says, oh, your wing is damaged, although I didn't see it. And then the next time you see it, it's flying. Did he fix it? <laughs> I think he fixed it. But right. I didn't see it. Right. And I didn't fall asleep. I did not have like a blackout moment. I wasn't drunk. <laughs> there was no shot of him fixing I think he fixed it with a shoelace because you see him take a shoelace out of his boot. But I right. have no idea because you never see it again. I don't know what that scene was for. So many times in my notes, I've just written, show us what the hell is happening because I cannot tell. Yeah. So, Gil Keenan, the director, he does a lot of family movies. So, mm. he started off with Monster House in 2006. Which I loved, and I thought, this is a really good, quirky, animated movie that's genuinely quite frightening and has right. some great ideas in it. And I thought, this guy is great. Right. I haven't seen it. It's really wonderful. But then, after that, he does the remake of, of Poltergeist. Poltergeist. Yeah, I can see why he got that job. Which I have seen. It's crap, isn't it? It's the worst remake of a horror movie I've ever seen. It's it's just... It's appalling. Really bad. bad. Really bad. I mean, it's got Sam Rockwell in it as well, which is just yeah. such a waste of talent. Wonderful actor. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is just horrendous. It's, it's not a good movie. But then uh, Gil Keenan has gone on to do A Boy Called Christmas. I don't know if that's a good movie or not. And that's he- really good. Yeah, it I is? saw that last Christmas. Right. It is really good, actually. Okay. Yeah, really sweet. And he also was one of the co-writers of Ghostbusters Afterlife as well. Mm. So he, I guess family movies are his sort of bread and butter. Yeah, um, sort of spooky films that focus on kids, yeah. you know, or with some fantastical element. That seems to be what people are sort of, either uh, he's personally interested in mm. or he's been sort of typecast as. I can see why they gave him Poltergeist on the strength of Monster House. Right, but yes. Boy, did he flush it down the toilet. But you don't know, it might be the script. He didn't write the script, did he? Don't think so. No. David Lindsay Abair. Mm. Not a name I recognise. So, yeah. I don't know. He seems to be quite up and down. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Depending on the material he gets, maybe. Although it's shocking to think that Caroline Thompson would turn out a bad mm. blueprint mm. for the City of Ember when adapting it on the basis of all the other things that she's worked on. Yeah. So I'm just stunned how little this movie impacts and how little it makes sense in the way that it's executed as well yeah i mean my only my only explanation is just to make it more family friendly maybe simplify Mm. dilute it just dilute the plot down very simple the grandma death make it not sad yeah (laughs) for kids we don't want kids crying (laughs) we want kids to understand the story so no character development barely any stakes Things happen, they turn out exactly how they're supposed to happen, the end. And that's just, I guess, my only explanation, because it it was very, very family-friendly and wholesome. But there was also, like, a lot of emphasis on on the visual look. Like, I did like the visual look and aesthetic. Like, we have Mm. already sort of talked about it, but even some of the characters did really remind me of, like, Roald Dahl 
characters. Yeah. Quite face value, quirky, it is what it is kind of characters. Like, there's not much depth. I'm not saying the Roald Dahl characters don't have depth, but they are often very... You know your character as soon as you sort of see them. Yeah, they're archetypes, aren't they? They're sort of caricatures. Yeah, exactly. And every scene just had a very distinct look as well. You've got the city buildings, which look like almost like matchboxes. Mm. And then you've got the pipe room uh, and, and then the glass house. They all have a very distinct visual aesthetic. Like the set design was just amazing. Yeah. But it didn't quite have the lived-in feel, though. Things did look quite crisp. Yeah, and very bright and bright. Well, it's mostly earthy coloured, isn't it? The City of Ember. Yeah. It's very sepia toned generally. But yeah, it doesn't look as lived in and dilapidated and awful as I think you're supposed to feel it is. It's supposed to feel really run down. They've been down here for 200 years making do. They're, everything is breaking down wearing out, running out. They're supposed to just be like this time capsule that pops out after 200 years and resurfaces Mm. when the Earth is able to support life again. But yeah, you didn't really get that from the visual storytelling. It sort of looked like a delightful place to live, despite the lack of sunlight, which would cause a massive vitamin... I mean, something or other deficiency that's what i noticed as well like <laughs> i can't remember which vitamin it is but you you would be sorely lacking yeah it. people should have looked a lot more anemic pale like when they did escape as well when the sun rose it should have been just blinding oh yeah <laughs> they should have been just like on the floor screaming like make it stop <laughs> My- <laughs> no they were staring straight at it which is never a good idea <laughs> certainly not if you've lived underground by the light of a 40 watt bulb for the last yeah. 200 years yeah. yeah yeah i mean where where do they get these bulbs from you know these are normal filament bulbs i'm assuming <laughs> yeah they are i mean i guess they must have had 200 years worth of a light bulb stored somewhere. 40 watt bulbs. <laughs> Where did they store those? A lot of it doesn't really make any sense to me. Like, why the huge animals? Yeah, it felt like it I was know. a plot point, but it never seemed to surprise them particularly. Yeah. And it never went anywhere. Are we supposed to think that because the earth has been left untended by mankind, that all of the biological life has just gone rampant and mm. gotten large? But it was never made clear to me. And it wasn't clear to me whether it was a surprise. Like, yet another piece of stellar acting from Saoirse Ronan. Love Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> But in this movie, they're in a tunnel and this massive mole with red tentacles on its face runs through chasing Looper, the character played by Mackenzie Crook, the British actor. Mm. And any reaction from Saoirse? None. It's like average Thursday for her. And yet I don't think it was supposed to be. I think it was a bit of a surprise. Right. You've lived in a very enclosed society for a very long time. Surely a mole the size of an elephant should cause some sort of eyebrow lift. But no, nothing. Saoirse's unmoved. Yeah. I mean, it's CGI mole though. So like she didn't have much to work with. No. It would have been like a maybe a tennis ball on a stick or something. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to imagine, especially if you're a child actor. I mean, just in terms of trying to bring life to your movie and have story beats and tension, I get what you're saying. I hadn't thought of it. You know, maybe this is squarely aimed at family-friendly 
And so they're just going for that certification that always makes me giggle, mild peril, which you see sometimes. <laughs> so maybe that's what they were going for. So it's like, Sosha, don't look too frightened because we don't want to scare the kids. So just, yeah, you know, yeah. when the mole eats people, just sort of look bored. <laughs> yeah, I tried to imagine myself, if I was a child watching this movie, I think I would have enjoyed it mm. because it's very basic. Yeah. It's not a lot of, you know, stakes. It's not scary. Uh, I mean, some of the mole scenes were a bit but scary it's colorful yeah i don't know i think it really is aimed at children mm. it is a kid's movie and that's not to say that kids movie can't have depth i mean they do a lot of great kids movies are amazing yeah this movie did remind me a lot of goonies sort of goonies mixed with dan brown <laughs> a dan brown movie <laughs> yeah. there's a combo <laughs> <laughs> puzzles and, and clues and you know things to figure out but for children yeah <laughs> and they're just blindingly obvious yeah. and they don't really have to draw on anything that's unique to them in order to figure it out they just read things and it's like you know dune says it must be this wheel over here and starts turning a wheel and i think why that one? There are two more behind you, mate. Yeah. Why must it be that? Oh, it works. Okay, fine. Yeah. The puzzles didn't even seem to pose too much of a challenge, really. They just went with it. Yeah. It was like a lazy afternoon on a Sunday. There were <laughs> kids playing, <laughs> tried a few things, all worked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's time for Random Trivia. So, Dan, what fascinating piece of steampunky trivia did you find in a 200-year-old time capsule today? Well, uh, this movie is uh, produced by Playtone. I don't know whether you know this, but this is a production company Tom Hanks and producer Gary Gertzman established. Uh, it's, oh. But it's uh, the name Playtone is actually from the fictional record company uh, that was in the film, the 1996 film, That Thing You Do, which was written and directed oh, by Tom Hanks. Yeah. It was sort of a springboard for him to like, oh, maybe I should do this as an actual record label. So for a while it was a, it was a record label and it has um, produced some movie soundtracks. So it, it, it brought out the Soprano soundtrack Bring It On soundtrack, Band of Brothers soundtrack was under the Playtone oh. record company label. Um, oh, but wow. in terms of movies, uh, it has co-produced uh, Castaway, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, The Polo Express, Mamma Mia, Where the Wild Things Are, and most recently, the new Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie is uh, oh. co-produced by, by Playtone. But that last one I'm not too sure about because I can't seem to find any other sources apart from Wikipedia. But I was not aware about Tom Hanks's production company. That's amazing. No. I didn't know it was something that he was actively doing yeah. and had a label for it. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. And, and the fact that it came from that movie, that thing you do. Yeah. All right. And that's our trivia. So my biggest bugbear with this movie is too much reliance on CGI. And it's not great CGI. It's very sort of TV movie CGI for me. I mean, it is 2008, so still kind of... Early days. Yeah, early days. All the practical sets and stuff look great. And then it would pan up to the ceiling with the CGI bulbs. Ugh, mm. Not good. Not good. Yeah. That scene with the CGI turbines and the water. It's, uh, it's not good. 
Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. Like a low-budget TV movie. I mean, Netflix would do better now. Yeah. But it's 14 years ago, so I guess you have to cut it some slack. I didn't think the animals were too bad. I thought the creature animation yeah. was pretty good. Yeah, the mole looked great. Mm. The moth was, well, it was... It was passable. It was passable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even the, you know, the climax of the movie where they're going through the tunnels and on the boat in the water, just like mm. appalling CGI. Like, yeah, wow. it's really bad. Not good. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't convinced by a single shot of that sequence, I'm afraid. And again, the actors just not reacting at all. Just sat, obviously, in a green screen room in a boat. Mm. I thought, you've got a, what is Poppy? Like four or something? Yeah. She's in real danger here. Nobody's bothered. <laughs> <laughs> it all works out fine. Why on earth did they put the main exit for Ember next to the giant boat mashing cog machine anyway no idea i mean this is not good planning (laughs) 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 all right uh music so the music is by andrew lockington he's a canadian film score composer Mm. just looking at his cv he's got those journey to the center of the earth journey to the mysterious island Mm. percy jackson sea of monsters Mm -hmm. there's nothing in there that's like a breakout there's a lot of comedy yeah and to me there's a lot of ostinatos and agitated strings and this sense of great purpose as though something is happening all the time and it's very pretty and it's very densely orchestrated and it's as bland as anything it's store brand mayonnaise (laughs) it's just really dull and quite a lot of it sounds like it's lifted wholesale from the chronicles of narnia which is a really great score by harry gregson williams Mm. and the main theme of this movie sounds alarmingly similar to the chronicles of narnia which had cooked up a storm in the box office three years prior Mm. all very lovely very competent very busy, very fantastical, very wonderful and lovely, lots of sense of awe stuff, but um, did not make me care one jot. Yeah, it wasn't memorable. No. I think I wrote down in my notes, it has strings and brass. Uh, <laughs> what do you want in a score? Uh, but yeah, nothing that I can I can really uh, remember. I looked at the other movies that uh, Andrew Lockington has done. He's done quite a few quite notable TV shows. So Sanctuary, Frontier, and American Gods, uh, all sort of in the fantasy, sci-fi some horror realm mm. i think his biggest movie would have to be san andreas yes which is not a great movie it's got the rock in it doesn't it it does yeah it's a disaster movie yeah i quite like it because it has a british guy in it who turns out to be well he's terribly british but he's quite heroic and it makes a change okay usually in these things the british guy's the cowardly asshole that leaves <laughs> the kids to die yes. but he's you know really nice teenage kid that helps rescue the rock's daughter in that disaster movie and then has to be Mm. rescued himself by her so it's nice and equal and and fair it's a bit of a guilty pleasure i quite like san andreas but i couldn't comment on the music because it again completely uh passed me by he won a bmi film music award for best film music for that really Uh, similarly for percy jackson and journey to the mysterious island so you know he's won a lot of awards He's a very competent and well-liked guy. I'm sure he's lovely. Yeah, yeah. I just did not find this interesting at all. 
there was one movie that I completely forgot that he did score. Um, it's a movie called X-Change, oh. uh, spelt X-C-H-A-N-G-E. It's a 2001 sci-fi movie. It's got a really, really interesting premise. Like the worst movie, not a great movie at all, like very B grade. I think it's got like Stephen Baldwin, one of the Baldwins in it. The premise is the fastest way to travel is to send your mind to a a vessel. So you can upload your mind and just send it to a a vessel in another country and that vessel will just be another human that you can upload your mind into that human. Really interesting premise. Like that's the fastest way to travel in the future. Yeah, that'd be great. So if you want to go on holiday in Australia, you just pop into somebody else's body for a week. Yeah, yeah. And just like borrow their body and just be in another country. Yeah. Uh, So it's like like that. What's that thing where you borrow people's houses for a weekend? Oh, like Airbnb. (laughs) Airbnb, yeah. So Airbnb, but for brains. That's great. (laughs) Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. Okay, it's the Moobly Awards. It's where we present our favourite illuminating parts of the film in a number of not-so-puzzling categories. Best quote. My favourite quote in The City of Ember comes from Clary, who I think is like a gardener working in a greenhouse. Mm. And at, at one point she says to Lena, don't dig too deep, Lena. I thought, yep, that's pretty much (laughs) the theme of this movie wow (laughs) uh my favorite quote uh is (laughs) i I can't i've kind of a well we've kind of alluded to it already but uh it's when when dune is constantly asking uh the head of pipeworks sell about things and and what they do and he always responds don't know it's not my job uh, but in that in that sort of big climactic scene where the turbine is getting stuck and and Sal is just just like hammering at it, just not a lot of finesse in, the, in that hammering. Uh, and Dune asks, "How do you know what to do?" And then Sal replies, "It's my job." And uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just a good payoff for me. Yeah. Best hair or costume. It's got to be something knitted, Dan, yeah. isn't it? Surely. <laughs> Obvious choice is Lena's messenger uniform, the the scarlet cape or cloak that she has to wear. It's got the big stitching up the front as well. And I think it's made out of felt or something. Um, mm. But it, yeah, again, it, it looks like a, a garment you would see on an animated movie because of all the textures. Right. Um, I don't think it would be hugely practical if you're a messenger running but looks great (laughs) (laughs) it looks great no it's like capes on superheroes never a good idea which they point out in the incredibles in a very funny yeah 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 but yeah no i do like that i mean for me it's 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 all the the knitted wear lots of lovely they could have done a whole line of knitted wear from city of ember Ah, i think and i love dune's sweater which has these blue and grey stripes. But I note that it seems as though either he's particularly poor or they're just so limited on resources they couldn't knit the whole thing because it sort of stops mid-chest. Right, yeah. This 
this sweater. He's got something else underneath it, thank goodness. So Harry Treadway isn't showing us his navel. All the so it's way not like a, it's not like an eighties like jumper or anything. Crop top, yeah, no. <laughs> Most naughty moment. Initially, I had written, you know, young adult movie adaptations. You know, Hunger Games, Divergent. We've talked about it, um, but that that was like early twenty tens. Yeah, those movies came out. So. I guess I would go with the the sort of revival of the children's fantasy with Narnia and Gold Compass, Spiderwick Chronicles, all coming out 2005, 2007, 2008. But yeah, just like adventure movies being very, very popular in, in the early 2000s. This doesn't have the fantasy element, though, that those movies do, but it, it does have that sense of like, we're in a new world everything's different and uh quirky and colorful and different so it has it has that yeah, yeah it does now this is it's, as you say it's fascinating this one is kind of like a, a crossover between that sort of fantasy adventure colorful thing that you got in the noughties yeah. and then the dystopian trend that followed yes. afterwards in yes. YA in the in the 10s i mean i noticed a very close similarity with wally which also came out in 2008 All right, where yeah. mankind is sequestered elsewhere to avoid an ecological disaster but forgets how to get back and right. becomes stupid yes. it's also very similar to logan's run actually from 1976 where they live in a dome and keep killing themselves when they hit 30 right yes that's right in the sky (laughs) they rise up into the sky yeah but then they wander outside and find that the air's fine and growing old's not a problem and looking at sunrises is quite fun Mm. so yeah i i thought this really did predict the ya trend that that came afterwards right yes favorite scene genuinely none Right. I wow. Nothing <laughs> stuck out to me at all. Possibly the sunrise because I almost felt something. Right. Okay. But mostly I think it was relief because I thought the film was ending. So, I thought the mole attack was pretty good. At least there seemed to be some jeopardy and they seemed to care about it. And I thought the shot where the mole's little tendrils were coming out and touched Lena's hand and she screamed and ran. I thought that was great. Yeah. You know, I, thought... I was in, actually invested in what was happening. Yeah, there was tension. <laughs> Favorite scene for me, I kind of liked the hidden door scene. Like, I know it was ah, dumb. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't really figure much out. <laughs> But I, I just like hidden doors. Okay, <laughs> I like, yeah. I like them investigating a room and finding something that they didn't expect somewhere that they didn't expect, and it turning out to be a boat. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Most cliche moment. I've said it before when we've done children's adventure movies. I'll say it again: giant water slide gotta have a giant water slide in there somewhere (laughs) it's it it's in the goonies it's in explorers right and you have variations in willow and temple of doom as well Ah, so yeah gotta have a giant water slide have no idea why but it's gotta be in there yeah that's true that's true uh (laughs) yeah uh in terms of cliche for me this is not really a a sci-fi adventure fantasy cliche it's just like a cliche in terms of like kids movies the main character is always an orphan 
it just it's just always yes. the case all the disney movies are like that <laughs> like i guess it's just like a really easy base uh, point to start off with a character and and it also means that they're always just going off on adventures because they don't have any parents they just sneak out. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no attachment. There's no parental supervision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 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 they're more independent always because I guess they don't have parents. Um, but yeah, orphans yeah. as main characters in these kind of kids family movies all the time. Yeah, it makes them sympathetic too. Yes. Best special effect. Uh, I, we've already mentioned it. The mole. The mole was great. I really like the mole. Yeah. Uh, the sort of the the so it's a star-nosed mole, a native to eastern mm-hmm. Canada and northeast uh, USA. Um, they are blind, so that that sort of nasal tentacles that they have, uh, otherwise known as Imer's organ, mm. it's, it's used like like feelers, like whiskers on on a cat or a dog to sort of feel out what's uh, what's ahead of them, I guess, and to find food. Yeah. Yeah, I had exactly the same thing. I think the the creature animation is really good, mm. and considering it's two thousand and eight, the models themselves that they created, yeah, pretty convincing. I thought. I mean, the moth one is is a little bit cartoony, but the mole's great. Yeah. Favorite sound effect. So we haven't mentioned it, but the uh, they have. A- they don't have batteries in this world. They have extension cords. So if they if they want a torch, <laughs> or a, a helmet torch, they have to plug it in and just roll out a huge <laughs> extension cord. <laughs> Which I kind of, I mean, yes. it's impractical, obviously, but I really did like it in terms of like, oh, this is a world where we do this. This is this is what we do. Um, and in terms of the sound effect, every time they plugged it in, there was that very distinct sound as, as soon as they plugged in. And I, I just really like that sound. <laughs> yes, I really liked that they were British plugs. Oh, were they? <laughs> right. I didn't notice. My favourite sound is the wobbly audio in the hand-cranked answerphone tape. Ah, yes. Yeah? Ah, yes. <laughs> Which had a crucial bit of information hidden on it in plain sight as it turned out Mm -hmm. one thing i did think about that sound design and i did think of you i checked i took a sample of both times that the audio appears on the film and it is the same exactly the same wobbling that happens both times they play it even though the wobbling is happening because they are hand cranking it it wobbles in exactly the same places in the same ways both times they play it through and i thought you lazy sound designer you should have done it twice (laughs) and they didn't they were probably up against a deadline had to get it done they just used the same tape twice and i just thought this is really disappointing dan wouldn't do that well i mean i (laughs) wouldn't but i mean who is gonna check that though i mean conrad (laughs) come on (laughs) (laughs) i noticed it i noticed it i thought surely i remember those wobbles it wobbled in the same oh my gosh most funniest moment i have to confess i did not laugh once not even at bill murray Mm. Which is amazing, isn't it? I did. I honestly never laughed during the movie. Now that could be because, you know, we're very busy right now. So you know, I was very focused while I was watching because yeah. I had like eight other things to do. But uh, honestly, it never once made me laugh. 
Right. Not even unintentionally. I, I, I mean, it, as, as obvious as it was, the, the cell line with him, that's my job. Mm. I did laugh at that. Uh, okay. The really dumb gag with the mirror falling over, like, very obviously staged and smearing his face on his own portrait. Kind of, yeah. kind of chuckled a little bit at that. Really? For me, it would have just been like a breathe through the nose, you know, that kind of... <laughs> just sort of just, <laughs> I acknowledge that this was meant to be funny, kind of... Yeah. <laughs> exhale. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's our movie. Yeah. Hello, this is Robert Picardo, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Okay, it's the final part of the pod. It's where we present our verdicts for this film. Should 2008's City of Ember be freed from the forgotten city to enjoy a sunrise once more and be loved by all? Or should it be attacked by a giant mole and be dropped deep down into the oubliette to be trapped for a further 200 years? Conrad, uh... Did you like this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, go with me first. I don't think there's any suspense what I thought of it, unfortunately, because there were so many things about it that disappointed me. And certainly, principally, the character development or lack thereof, any kind of story arc, any kind of stakes, surprises, development, anything to engage you emotionally, any sense that there were characters here or that they were invested in what they were doing. There was just none of that, and it's just slathered on with this bland orchestral score, this stunning, expensive, elaborate-looking production design and costume design that looks incredible and fully realised and expensive, and some great CGI on the uh, creature effects. Mm. But it it all adds up to nothing. It's 90 minutes, and, I, and now I understand why I just completely forgot it, because nothing happens. It's the story of two kids in an isolated society who find some Ikea instructions, and their only <laughs> challenge is the fact that the sister ate part of them. That's it. That's right. your movie. They overcome this obstacle, and they sit and watch a sunrise. The ember should be left to fizzle out. I'm sorry. It should stay down there for another 200 years. And and I feel really sorry for the people that accidentally open the box and find it again, <laughs> because it's just, despite an amazing lineup of talent, it adds up to very, very little. And I was very disappointed in it. Right. Well, that's very scathing. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I didn't actually mind the movie. I mean, I will agree with everything you've just said, though. I think it, yeah. it doesn't work in all of those aspects. Um, but if you put yourself in a, a child's shoes, I think mm. it kind of works as a kid's movie. Like, there's, yeah. it's very, uh, I mean, it, there's no depth at all. No. Everything looks colourful and stuff happens and there's no story. Uh, there's some, You know, what can go wrong in terms of, like, uh, having Sish Ronan and Bill Murray and Tim Robbins uh, and... Martin Landau in a movie—they're just likable regardless of of their characters. So I don't know. I think it's it's fine if you're a child, and if if in, yeah. in terms of uh, parents out there listening to this, yeah, go watch this movie with your kid. Uh, like put it on under ten year olds, 
it's it it works. It's fine. It's fine. As an adult, yeah, it's not great. It's not great at all. <laughs> um, I don't know. It for me, I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm torn because I think like visually really? it it works. Like if 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 you had no sound and you're not following the story it looks like a really good movie and i did like the well, world apart building. from many of the scenes where it's it needs to convey something and it doesn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> which yeah. is really terrible i mean see i would take issue with that because I, I i agree with you i i hadn't thought of that look at it from a kid's perspective and i love your analogy of this is like a animated movie but live action i love that i hadn't thought of that that's really interesting but I I still think kids deserve better. I you know, I, I, well, I think kids yeah. <laughs> should have should have character arts. They should feel something. I mean, even to this day, Chronicles of Narnia makes me well up in places because yeah, it's I know it's, it's emotionally powerful stuff. I know, and I yes. think kids deserve that. Not sort of stick them in front of this for ninety minutes. It won't bother them at all. They might fall asleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, but, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll <laughs> amend that to under five-year-olds <laughs> should watch yeah. this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess on on that level, uh, I guess I will have to put this movie back in the oubliette. Like it, I just can't get past how good it looks in terms of set design and costume design. Good. And and world building, but I guess source material is is mm. the reason for that. So so props to the writer of City of Ember, Jean de Prow. Um Yeah, mm. some really really solid source material. I think I would like to see this movie remade, maybe with maybe with more budget yeah. and more sort of uh, some tinkering in terms of 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 developing the characters a bit more. So. I'm going to have to say, yes, I agree with you, Conrad. Just throw it back. <laughs> is, this a, is this one of the first cases where we've, <laughs> I've, I've convinced you, I've argued my case? <laughs> I mean, it's also one of those cases where it's just like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's, it's good, it's yeah. bad, it's not terrible. It's, it, it I would really be fine didn't want to toss a coin on this one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it deserves that. <laughs> <laughs> Back it goes. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just tie it to this rock. <laughs> it's not my job. Down you go. <laughs> so, Conrad, what are we going to be doing next episode? Anything that should be dropped into a well? So next time we're going back to horror. We're going back to the '80s, mm. my home territory. And it's a British film, nonetheless, from 1982. It is The Sender. Mm, I'm always surprised by the British films that we do, especially from the 80s and 90s, because they are very yeah. hit and miss. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be interested to see what you make of this one. This is one that I caught on late night TV at some point in the 80s or 90s as a, a teenager, maybe in the 90s. And it stuck with me and okay. it was really hard to get hold of. But it's now been released as a remastered edition. So it's widely available. So I thought, right, let's see if it holds up to my teenage memories. Yeah, it's interesting. It's directed by Roger Christian, who is best known as a production designer and won an Academy Award for Star Wars. 
Um, and right. he didn't direct many movies. It stars Catherine Harold and Jellico Ivanek. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. And Paul Freeman, who was Belloc in Raiders of the Lost Ark the okay. year before. So, yeah, that might be somebody you recognize. And it has music by Trevor Jones of uh, The Labyrinth and The Last Mohican. Last of oh. the Mohican, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Right, so. right, right, right. Should be interesting. Yes, yes, looking forward to it. And if you're looking forward to our next episode, why don't you write and tell us about it? We're available on all social media as Movie Oubliette, and you can email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. Yes, and please uh, catch up on all of that Iconicon stuff, all those panels. I hope mm. you watch them all, and I hope Conrad got through them all alive. Uh, we will <laughs> <Insane>. see. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but if you do want to be a supporter of us, you can become a patron at Patreon uh, for a dollar a month. You get uh, access to extended segments and uh, you get to vote on our future movies that we will cover. And for $5, you get access to extended interviews and also our monthly mini-sode. Yes, and I know as the cost of living is increasing at the moment, uh, having having spare cash around to support your favourite podcasts is no easy thing. So I have to say I really do appreciate anybody who can support us on Patreon because things aren't easy right now. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> And also, we do have merchandise available, you can, so you can support us that way by buying an mm. assortment of household items with our logo all over it, uh, or even mm. the uh, Iconicon T-shirt. Yes, the exclusive one with us in two prominent characters from films we've covered. Nobody's guessed them yet? Yes, I think someone has guessed me. Someone's guessed yes. me. Yes, they have. Yes, somebody figured out that you're from Buckaroo Bonsai. Yes, yes. They haven't figured you but out. But the guess for me was wrong. Uh, no. I mean, yeah, you're, what you're wearing is, is quite... <laughs> it's not exactly distinctive, I would say. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> it's tricky. I think the most important thing about what my character is wearing is the fact that his trousers do not reach his shoes by quite some margin. Mm. Maybe that should give yeah. you a clue. <laughs> yeah, maybe imagine Conrad not as a full-grown adult as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe knocking around with Ethan Hawke. Yeah. yeah as you do. a few, few clues there. <laughs> and a bit of a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, listeners, thanks again for joining us for another episode, and we will see you in the next one. We will. Bye for now. Goodbye. On the day the world ended, the fate of mankind was carried in a small metal box.